Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Um, this is a, a little bit of a different acidine for just one small reason is I'm actually going to release this out on the pre-med years. So if you're listening to this in the pre-med years podcast, hello and welcome to acidine. Actually, you get to listen to acidine. Well, you get to listen to acidine all the time because it's live, um, not live, but it's, it's available uh, at mapped.tv is actually our YouTube channel that has Ask the Dean on there where we release every episode uh, once a week. So go over there to mapped.tv. Uh, but we're releasing this pre-mid-years episode here on August 19th because on August 24th, we have a big day. What is that day, Rachel? Uh, mapped goes to public beta. So we will still be in beta. We're still working on bugs and make it better and better. <laughs> but instead of pre-ordering and going, win, oh, win, oh, win, we'll have access. You yep. will order and you will have access. Yep. You will order and have immediate access to Mapped. Um, starting August 24th, the the time we haven't announced yet, not not to pull a double AMC here for MCAT registration, but um, we actually have to click the button. But it'll be about, I, I don't know what time. It doesn't Let's, matter. Just go check yeah. Mapped.com. It'll, um, be, it'll be no later than, than noon Eastern. Yeah, that's the plan. And and speaking of bugs, we found a big one today with our GPA calculations. We we uh, missed a few things here and there, but that's okay. We're we're gonna get that fixed. We decided to launch Mapped as a public beta because number one, there are still bugs. Which it's software. There's always gonna be bugs, probably. Uh, but there's still a lot of just um, glaring bugs. I think that we were hoping to be fixed by now, but that's okay. That it doesn't affect how you can use Mapped. But I think. I think the other big thing too is that we have so many features that we wanted in version one and and we want mapped in your hands and wanted to get it to you sooner so we're releasing it to everyone august 24th so if you're watching this as a map to pre-order user and you're in there playing with it and you like it go tell your friends starting august 24th they can go sign up as well um, and come join the fun we had an amazing meeting today a little focus group with some pre med pre-health advisors and a director of admissions at a medical school uh, and they all seemed to love it so i'm excited for the future of what we have going on here at map so that's what i got map.com august 24th let's get to ask the dean <laughs> all right first up question would taking temperatures and blood pressures at a dentist office count for patient contact hours for medical school? Ooh, it depends on if it's a rectal Ooh. or a forehead temperature, right? It's usually the differentiation. Do what? <laughs> that was such such a deep deep joke that went right over your head. <laughs> I mean, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, said, I said it depends on if it's a rectal or a forehead temperature. <laughs> 
Well, since it's a dentist's office, I would hope it's not a rectal <laughs> temperature taking. So we'll just see. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is a good question. And I think, I mean, the first thing I would ask is, was the student um, ever thinking about going into dentistry and they switched over mm -hmm. to medicine? If that was like part of why they're working in a dental office to start with or you know, where was the genesis of this sort of dental office job and, you know, their ability to explain it would be important, I think, within the context of, of a description of the uh, experience in a medical school application. Now, having said that, it is patient contact. Uh, these are patients in a, in a, uh, in a healthcare setting and uh, you are, you know, uh, uh, being active with them, albeit, you know, for a short period of time when they first come into the dental, dental office. It's not notably different than what a medical uh, assistant would do when in taken into a, into a medical clinic. Maybe not mm -hmm. quite as much uh, um, a medical history probably that they would be taking or whatever, but so very similar to that. So I, I think it's uh, plausible that a uh, um, that it would count for, for uh, clinical hours and for a med school application. Yeah, we get this question a lot, whether it's around being a physical therapy assistant or yeah. something pharmacy similar to a physical or, therapy or, assistant yeah. in a chiropractic office, uh, definitely yeah. pharmacy tech. Uh, and really, I think at the at the heart of all of the those types of it's it's patient care technically, but not necessarily in a, a hospital with MDDO medicine um, or an outpatient setting MDDO medicine. It's patient care. You're interacting with patients in, in some sort of clinical way. I think that the biggest takeaway that we always have with this is make sure that it's probably not the majority, your main right. clinical experience for, for the application. Right. Agreed. So... Totally agree. Good one. That. Yep. That's a good question. Yeah. I like that one. All right. Next up on the chopping block, we have I recently got or just got an unpaid internship follow, uh, volunteering for a local nonprofit with a physician. I have to decide whether I would like college credit. As a post-bac student, I don't need credits to graduate. Do medical schools consider this as volunteer hours if I also receive college credit? Or will I need to do the zero credit option to receive volunteer hours? Thank you all so much. This is interesting. So this is very similar, Scott, to the question we had a couple weeks ago where a student talked about what, what I think it was through their athletics or through like the fraternity or sorority. Right, right. Does it, is it like, is though, are those volunteer hours discounted because they're through an organization and not something a student lined up themselves. It's kind of similar. Yeah, very similar. And I, you know, my first reaction is unless you pointed it out, I think many on an admissions committee would not even notice that yeah. they're connected. They're, uh, they're not they looking would, at the extracurricular list mm -hmm, and then looking at the courses going, right. these line oh, up? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I think you, you know, it, it, particularly on a on a first review of an application, uh, they're usually fairly quick and fairly, uh, you know, they're not doing the deep dive into into an application. They're sort of looking for certain certain uh, data points that they want to 
you want to concentrate on for deciding whether or not they're going to take them uh, in as an interviewee. <clears throat> but even once it gets to the admissions committee level after an interview, I, you know, it, it would take a pretty savvy uh, admissions committee member to even connect those two dots if you didn't yeah. connect them yourself. So I would say if you, you don't need the credit hours, then why do it why um, even ask, for yeah. credit? Yeah. Why even do it for credit? And uh, so, but I, I don't know that I would worry about that either way. <clears throat> let me, think, let me you know, ask you, let me ask you a follow-up. If a student doesn't call it out themselves, right? Is that, is that knowing how pre-meds think, is that some sort of like dishonesty? Are they trying to hide no, something? No, no. I think yeah. they, I think that's overthinking it. I, I you yeah. know, I, I think, you know, honestly, what the, what the admissions committee members are looking for is what did you get out of this? What, what's the value of this experience? What did you get out of it? Whether you got credit for it or not, deep dive into why was this important to you? What did you learn out of this experience? What's the value, meaning, meaning creation things or what we're looking for when we're looking at these uh, activity experiences and stuff, whether or not you got credit for it or whether you, you know, whatever, uh, whether it was with a sports team or your frat fraternity or sorority or whatever, uh, you know, I think that the the key to the key to all of it is the meaning part, is the value of it part. So I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, you know sort of do a bunch of mental gymnastics to try to figure out how to, <laughs> how to do. But that. that's what pre meds are best at, Scott. Oh, we absolutely, like to do mental I gymnastics. I know it. I know it. I took human anatomy, clinical physiology, microbiology, psychology, and sociology for my nursing degree a long time ago. Will they still be considered good for medical school admission? All right. So this is a great question. And actually yeah, it is. something very similar to like what, what MAPT, our, our ultimate goal with MAPT is, is to be able to put those courses in and know that that what what I'm assuming you know the answer is, is uh, um not they don't count right so a lot of times these nursing level right. classes don't count right okay so the the so i think we got oh, an email and they were at a foreign institution so i think i think the the foreign institution is the bigger issue here mm. uh, I, I know that many medical schools perhaps most medical schools are going to require that those prerequisites be taken in the u.s at a u.s accredited u.s institution so that's the bigger issue here. Now, let's do, let's draw that aside and say, okay, let's create an applicant who did this very thing talking about did them at a a, a U.S. institution a long you know fairly long ago and, and and talk about that scenario. And in that case, there are medical schools who want particularly the prerequisites to be recent. They don't want them to be you know seven, eight, ten years ago or whatever. Uh, so they, they, there are medical schools where that, those would expire and not be applicable to, uh, to meeting the prerequisites. Secondarily, if, the, if those courses were taken as a part of your nursing curriculum, it's, it's likely that the medical schools are not going to count those because they're not for science majors. They were for a professional program in nursing or some allied health program of some sort. So... If so, for example, if your anatomy class 
prefix is B-I-O-L in its anatomy, then that's one thing. If it's N-U-R-S and in the nursing curriculum is anatomy, for example, all of the, all of the programs in Texas at, at the Texas Application Service, we would not allow those to move forward as meeting the prerequisite because they were taken as a part of a, of a, a allied health program and uh, would not be applicable. So, so I think there's several elements here that need to be sort of considered in that process. The foreign institution element, the element of when they were taken, and then the element of uh, within what academic context they were taken. Yeah, and then the the other kind of uh, extra bit of this that that comes up a lot, and it wasn't specifically asked with this question, but it was kind of potentially hinted at with, I took these courses a long time ago, is this myth, for the most part, that prereqs expire? Right. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think the issue here is not as much the issue of expiration in, in a bureaucratic way, but it is the idea that you're, if, if you are that far away from that material, yep. then what, what is this going to mean about your ability to perform in the classroom, particularly in the first six, nine weeks of medical school? Uh, yep. First six weeks of medical school, first nine weeks of medical school, crucial, crucial to setting a good tone for establishing um, study habits, everything. And if you're playing catch up from day one, then you're, this can you're done. spell disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is bad. Yeah, just just yeah. go watch the video. Scott, have you ever watched the video uh, about eating pancakes in medical school? No. No, it's, it's an amazing video. Rachel, have you ever watched that video? No. Okay. So everyone, here's your homework. Google... Uh, eating pancakes in medical school, just a, in on YouTube. It's a YouTube video. Basically, okay. the gist is that every day you have to eat ten pancakes. Okay? That is your goal in medical school. But some days you're not very hungry and you don't want to eat ten pancakes, so you only eat five. But guess that's what that means for tomorrow. Now you got to eat 15 pancakes, <laughs> but you can only eat 10. And so you only eat 10 and then it's 15 the next day. And, and then, so you're always behind at the end of the yeah. day. So yeah. Yeah. it's, it's a yeah. really good video. Um, yeah. I'll have to look that really up. highlighting, right? We always talk about the, uh, drinking the from fire, fire hose, hose but yeah. eating pancakes is, is definitely a great analogy. At least how they tell the story. Yeah, it is. That's, um, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's right. So I, I, it, I talked with a student who got an interview to medical school, and I don't know the follow-up whether she got in or not, but she was a physical therapist and hadn't taken classes in 20 years. And she didn't oh, yeah. go back and do more classes, but she took her MCAT, did great on it, and she got interviews at medical schools. And and obviously, she's she had already gone through professional school as a physical therapist, and so there's some built-in trust to her ability to handle uh to handle medical school uh, and obviously doing well in the MCAT helped as well. So it, the, uh, yeah, the, just a, an extra little bonus mention that this whole myth of prereqs expiring is, is just that for the most part, yeah. not to say there aren't a few schools out there that do have expiration dates. Whew. All right. 
So kind of following up on the patient care question earlier, uh, the same verdict working as a CNA in a skilled nursing facility slash rehab, not in a hospital setting. So this, actually for me, this question isn't anywhere near the same as the other one, right? The, the earlier one was, I guess they're kind of similar, right? Taking blood, blood pressure and, and uh, temperature. Um, a CNA, obviously, uh, who does a lot with patients, but in a, in a skilled nurse, nursing facility, rehab, I guess, yeah. Skiff, yeah. Um, or a sniff. Uh, I mean, that's, that's clinical experience. <laughs> that's, that's the definition. Yep. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I, think, I think students get very caught up um, with hospital equals clinical experience. And, and that's right. not always the case. Right. Again, right. clinical experience is interacting with patients. Now, there's in in my mind, and I think in yours, there's a difference between uh, a, a skilled nursing facility and a dentist office. I think that yeah. was the differentiation, right? Yes. Dentist office, yes. PT office, chiropractic office. Yes. Uh, a skilled nur- nursing facility is a a clinical setting similar to yeah. to a hospital setting, outpatient setting. So, yeah, definitely the same. And you and, and let me add to that is that the the concentration here is not mechanically what are you doing with the patients? You know, taking temperature, taking blood pressure, changing their sheets, emptying their their bedpan, whatever it is you're doing. These are the mechanical elements of it. What I think many admissions committees are more interested in is personal qualities that you gain from patient interaction. Uh, are you experiencing these patient interactions and are, are there things coming from that, such as your ability to think about and reflect on what all that meant to you? But also, for example, are you getting a, a letter of recommendation from, from the person at the nursing facility that says, man, this, this person is fantastic with patients. They, they love them. They, they, uh, they respond to them when they come into the room and they're doing their thing and they're just so uh, interact, whatever, whatever, whatever. And that's the important stuff. The fact that you took their temperature as opposed to emptying their bedpan. Uh, yes, that's clinical activities and stuff, but somebody that has absolutely no personality and the patients hate can still do those same things. Might not be as good a doctor, might not be as good a medical student, but they can still take a temperature and empty a bedpan. What I'm more interested in as an admissions officer is what did they get out of this and what did they, uh, what was their relationship with these patients like? And are we getting input from letter writers and stuff that, that say, I, I got stuff out of this that made me a better person and I hope that I made the patients feel better or made their day better or whatever. Yeah. And that's that's the difference between what we and and I have been harping on for so long and what we harp on here on on Ask the Dean is that it goes so much beyond what you did. 
right? Yep. It's not just That's checking right. the box. It's it's That's the right. reflection and, and what it did for you and, and how you grew from it and everything else. And it's so important. And I, I know there's a, a contingency of you out there listening to me going, that's BS. I know it's just stats. And that's okay. Uh, I'll hopefully win you over in the long run. Uh, but but I am telling you, it is much more than stats and, and that those reflections. Stats and, and what you did. Right? So don't just go yeah. and do the thing to check off the box. Yeah. So. yeah. Preaching to the choir there, preaching to the choir. <laughs> I know. I know. I was just thinking, if Dr. Gray can convince them, surely someone who has sat on an admissions committee and managed all of Texas admissions could maybe convince them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it used to be, uh, here's, here's a little vulnerable moment for me. It used to be, I, I had this imposter syndrome when I started the podcast. Like, who am I? I never sat on an admissions committee. I, I was never the dean or director of admissions anywhere. Um, but but I'm lucky enough to have amazing relationships with people like Dr. Wright and, and other admission committee members and, and people who do have all of the expertise. And they just... Um, they they they're able to take the money that I bribe them with to to uh, agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you started out so serious, <laughs> and then I did. <laughs> I wanted to chime in for this one because I'm yep. saying as I put it up, this is I think episode 14 of Ask the Dean, and I'm not sure, but I think it might be the 11th time we've been asked it. Yep. I'm going to put it out there anyway because people yep. keep asking, so people are still worried about it. Yep. It's actually something I wanted to talk to you, Rachel, about, about maybe setting, trying to set up a, maybe as an offshoot of story, some sort of virtual shadowing for students where we do some sort of Zoom call with a physician and, uh, and get students on board. Yeah. So here's the yeah. question. What are your thoughts on virtual shadowing during the pandemic? How will adcoms view virtual shadowing? And again, we get this every week, but that means that a lot of you are wondering. So yep. let's dig in. Let's dig in. All right. Virtual shadowing. Yep. Any other year would be like, why are you doing that? <laughs> get out of your house yep. and yeah. go put in some effort and get into a doctor's office, right? Call, call in those yep. connections if you have them. Uh, reach out to friends, family, uh, cold call, email, all of that stuff. Uh, and I know it's, it's still very hard for a lot of students to find shadowing. But obviously this year... Uh, with the pandemic, if you're watching this or listening to uh, watching this or listening to this in the future, like what are you talking about this year? Uh, in the middle of a pandemic, the shadowing is almost non-existent. So, yeah. virtual shadowing is the next best thing, and it it's better than nothing. Yep. And and, and I will point out that you know the question says how will admissions committees view virtual shadowing. Think about it this way. They're having to deal with virtual uh, or online courses. Mm -hmm. They are having to virtually interview students. Yep. So why would they look any differently at virtual shadowing? Everything is virtual right now. Everything <laughs> is virtual right now. Let's repeat that once again. Everything is virtual right now. So admissions committees are going to recognize this and they they don't have a choice. Yep. They're going to have to see that, the, as you said, this is a different kind of year and it is what it is. And so at least yeah. virtual shadowing is something. And so do it. It's something. And, and I think a lot of students 
will will probably do it. Hopefully, they'll do it, and then they won't put it on their application for fear that it'll look silly and why is this just virtual shadowing? But I encourage all of you to put it on there and, and let the admissions committee yeah. members do what they will yeah. do with it. Yeah, exactly. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Agree Whole, wholeheartedly. Good. That's why I like having you around. You make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, here's a good one. So I am scoring low in the cars section of the MCAT, but doing well in the other sections. I believe it's due to the fact that I started learning English when I was a teenager, which is why my reading speed is pretty low and my vocabulary is not as rich as a native speaker. Is this something medical schools will acknowledge or is this simply not a good enough reason for a low car score, which the student says is around 124? So let me remind mm. everyone that on National Pre-Med Day, we did an episode that we actually released on my YouTube channel, premed.tv, separately called Mission Accepted with a student who had a 121 in cars and was admitted to an MD school and DO schools as well. Um, and, uh, and she was an ESL student as well. So in my mind... A 124, again, this kind of goes back to these pre-med myths of if you score less than a 125, you can't get into medical school in a a section. So again, the the micro versus macro of what's your total score, and that 124 probably is not going to be an issue. Yeah, agreed. I agree with that completely. And with with regard to, you know, somebody coming to the U.S., learning a new language as a teenager, maybe in middle school or high school, you know, this is not an unusual circumstance uh, for an admissions committee to see these kinds of things. Uh, I think that particularly when students do well at their university and ha- have a you know, strong grade point average, uh, seem to be doing well generally on the MCAT, um, then I-, I think that what this points out is, is a-, a huge degree of, of uh, work ethic that the student has put in. Uh, in making the transition into a new culture, into a new language. Yep. Uh, it, it shows resilience. It shows perseverance. It shows there's a lot of personal things that come from that that I think admissions committees are drawn to because these are the qualities that are important in medical school. When the, when the going gets rough and you haven't had sleep near the, as much as you need, and it's, it's, those, it's those personal qualities of, of perseverance and and work ethic and motivation and just show up and get it done. Those kinds of things that admissions committees really center in on. Uh, The fact that your car score is maybe a point or two or three lower than the other scores than the other scores. I, I really don't see a a concern here. Yeah. And, and let me expand a little bit. I'm, I'm not an MCAT expert, but I have a podcast, so it's, it's basically the next best thing. I actually have two MCAT <laughs> podcasts. And, and I do the MCAT Cars podcast with Jack Weston, and we talk about this a lot. And in, in my experience, number one, he, he doesn't believe reading speed is a huge issue. He, he thinks that's an excuse that students use. Um, and, and I probably agree because I have historically been a very slow reader as well. Um, but something for me, when an ESL student says, I do well in the other sections, to me, that's a clue that this student can do perfectly fine in the car section 
because their reading comprehension is good enough to do well in the other sections, it's probably good enough for the car section. Mm-hmm. But we have this mental barrier to go, oh, this is the car section. This is the section where I, as an ESL student, shouldn't do as well, and I mm-hmm. need to read faster, and and I don't have the vocabulary. And so they fill their brain with this negative self-talk as they're going, right? They're trying to read the passage, and they're going, I'm too slow, I'm too slow, I'm too slow. I don't know what that word is. I don't know what that means. I'm too slow, I'm too slow, I'm too slow. And our brain, I'm married to a neurologist. Her dad is a neuropsychologist. And so we, we talk about brain stuff a lot. The brain can only hold a certain amount of information at any given point in time. It's called your working memory. It's kind of like RAM in a computer. And if you're filling your working memory with this negative self-talk of I'm going too slow, it sucks that ESL is is a detriment to this, I don't know what that word is, my vocabulary is not good enough, you're going to do bad in cars because of all of that negative self-talk. And so a lot of it is just from a, a mentality standpoint, knowing that you do well in those other sections, you're good enough to do well in the car section, you just need to allow yourself to. Yeah, yeah. A positive self-talk, completely agree with that. It is envisioning. There's another element of, of this, and that is envisioning. You know, I, I encourage applicants when they go to the MCAT, when they get to that testing center, they need to be in their car, walking into that testing mm-hmm. center, envisioning what is going to happen. Yeah. The day before, when you check out where the testing site is, envision yourself sitting in that chair, taking that MCAT, doing well. You know, you're putting it out there to the universe to say, this is my vision of what's going to be happening. Yep. And uh, the best athletes do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. Completely agree. So it's a little woo-woo, but that, that's what I like. <laughs> I, think, I think it works. Um, uh, a question here uh, from a student. Should I update schools regarding my grades and classes taken in summer and fall after having submitted my primary? Uh, well, I know TMDSAS-wise, you're asked to update TMDSAS, and then we will in, ch- in turn update the, the medical schools with uh, an updated GPA and uh, everything. So you'll just communicate that if you're applying in Texas, you'll communicate that through the application service in Texas. And we'll communicate it to the schools. So that so so normally students are familiar with AMCAS and ACOMAS where you, you can't change grades after you submit. So TMDSAS, you can add courses. Yep. Yep. Very cool. And okay. there and you're 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 real you're actually required, required. to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they want the latest, you know, everything. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So so let's look at it from the admissions committee uh, side of it. So as, as you're the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, yeah. if a student was borderline and those grades could have helped, is that something you take into account? Or it's just like so much extra data, you're like, I don't have time to go through it. No, 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 no. Yeah. And it's like I said previously, uh, a couple of questions ago, I think it's different on an initial review uh, than it might be on the deep dive in in the admissions committee, uh, where they're really looking at very detailed information. And maybe that, you know, maybe those summer grades or those fall grades could make a difference in terms of how they're going to view uh, the, the student, for example, if a student in the spring semester struggled in a class, 
you know, let's say they made a C in, in biochemistry one, and then they got, and then they were taking biochemistry two in the fall. You know, the admissions committee may very well say, well, I sure would like to know that fall grade because mm. that, that would make me much more comfortable if they had made, you know, a, a, a much better grade in that, in that biochem two class. So yeah. I, I do think it can make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think a lot of times the, the impetus behind this question and a lot of the actions behind updating schools is that it's this hail Mary of like, my grades are terrible. They're not good. They're not good. They're not good. Oh, but I got a, I got a 3.7 this last semester. So hopefully this will help me. And again, that's, that's kind of this micro macro thing that we talk about big picture. What does your whole academic record show is one semester is not going to bail you out. Right. That's right. That's right. It's, it's more the long haul, uh, over the over the period of time and and looking at those trends, uh, you know trends in the, which is you know absolutely something that the map software is is doing and will help you envision it. That's why it's really nice that it's a visual for you to mm-hmm. see what those trends look like uh, because that's uh, often what admissions committee members are really going to be looking at is what what is the trend here and am I comfortable with this trend uh, in terms of how the student is doing? particularly if you're on the bubble, but not, not exclusively, but, you know, if you're on the bubble and, and, you know, it's, it could go either way and the trend is, is maybe not as good or, or or if the trend is upward, it could mean, it could mean a lot in terms of your, uh, you're getting a nod. Yeah. Getting called up to the big leagues. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) What are your thoughts? I want to go back to this virtual world that we're living in now. What are your thoughts uh, about your assumptions about maybe you've heard through the grapevines uh, and maybe we we have to get through a cycle to see the the potential for interviews to either stay virtual uh, or the potential for students who don't have the funds to travel for them to be allowed to do virtual without any sort of uh, negative points against them? Yeah, I think, you know, boy, it's, that's a toss-up question, really. I think, uh, as with so many other things, I think this year and going into through this cycle is going to teach a lot of medical schools a lot of different things about the process, how it went. Uh, you know, I think that what's, what's what my guess is that some medical schools are going to say, hey, this virtual interviewing went really well. Uh, it uh, it gave us all the in- input we wanted and needed. Let's stick with this. Yep. We like it. It's not as expensive for us. It's not as expensive for the students, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my guess is that there's going to be some medical schools that will go with it. There will be others that will say, no, we're going to go back to we want. Because you have to get in mind, keep in mind that there are there are different uh, agenda uh, for the for the interview. It's not just about the medical school um, getting to know you and deciding if you're a good fit for the medical school. It's, it is also the other side of the street, which is you getting to know that medical school and evaluating whether, whether you want to be at that institution or not for your medical school uh, years and doing it virtually doesn't do that at all. It doesn't hit that part of the agenda for a medical school at all, particularly if they know that you're going to be an applicant who's going to get multiple offers. They want you on their campus. They want to show you what they've got. They want you to feel it. They want you to see it. They want you to talk to students. They want, 
They want that evaluation of you, of their institution. And the virtual, uh, the virtual reality of that's not going to work. And so I, I suspect that there's going to be a lot of things coming out of this. There's going to be schools that are going to say, no, we want the students on our campus. Uh, there will be other student, other schools that will say, you know, we'll go with the virtual. Uh, there may be some some hybrid in, in some ways of, of that. So I, I think it's anybody's guess what's going to be happening literally this time next year. Assuming that COVID is not an issue this time next year, God forbid that it still is. But um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't know. And, you know, I was I was just thinking about I was I, I was going to say this uh, back to the other the, the other comments I was making about everything being virtual. Uh, I know that there are many, perhaps most uh, admissions committee member admissions committee meetings are, are happening virtually. Yep. So they're getting you know, they're in the in the in the middle of this boat, just like every student is. And so it's not, they're not in some vacuum somewhere outside of the, you know, mainstream of everything and don't really have a clue what's happening. So I think students need to sort of breathe and calm down about this virtual shadowing thing and just let things happen the way they can happen yeah. and, uh, and, and then not worry about it too much. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens as a result of all this, but I suspect there's going to be uh, some changes in, in at some institutions and, and maybe not at some others. Yeah. I, I think we're seeing COVID uh, rapidly change our culture yep. and, and acceptance of working virtually, interviewing yeah. virtually, yeah. Uh, doing, doing a lot of things virtually that a yeah. lot for a long time, we didn't, uh, we didn't think it could be done. Uh, right. Because we didn't have to have it done, but now that we have to have it done, it's like, oh, it can't well, be we, done. Yeah, well, and, and a lot surprised. of companies are finding that people are more productive, and um, yeah. and they're they're. I listened. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about uh, about this, and people are connecting on a different level because. Now, when you're in a team meeting, you're not in a sterile boardroom somewhere. You're actually in the person's home with the dog barking in the background, their kid running in, and you realize that everyone is just a person dealing with their own things, and you get you get so much, uh, uh, so much more of a deeper personal connection, even though it's virtual. Yep. So, absolutely. Um, let's do a little bit of a demo of mapped for those watching on YouTube. Um, I'll, I'll make a mark there to end the podcast there, but, um, let's do a little bit of a demo on mapped. And we have a, we, we now have a demo account that has lots of fun information filled in. So if I share my screen here, Chrome tab share. All right. So you can see our uh, mapped demo account with our current student here showing our GPA graph. And we actually have, we're in the process of updating, uh, hopefully as soon as we can, these three graphs to make them more useful. Let me make my, that didn't work very well. All right. Um, but we have fun stuff in store. So let me do that. All right. All right. So 
the GPA graph is pulled obviously from our courses where we have all of the courses hopefully pulled in from the school that you have selected. And so our student here is at UC Riverside and we have a full list of courses. So let's look up chemistry and let's say general biochem. I think we had that one in the list already, but, but I can uh, look at it now. And we can go through and add our grades and uh, in the future, we hope a lot of this is automated for uh, prereqs and whether it counts as a science or not. And then we can add it to our list. I'm not going to add it just because we don't need to right now. Um, we can also add our professors. I, I had this idea, Rachel, where we're, I wonder if Rate My Professor has an API and we can dig into it and have students rate their professors from MAP to, to go into Rate My Professor. That sounds that may fun. Be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we can add our professors in here. We can mark them off if they're going to be a letter of recommendation writer, potential writer, and we're going to have a, a new note uh, note box open up so you can leave some comments, some, some thoughts and reflections about that professor. Hopefully in the future we, we have some more letter of recommendation features for Mapped, but uh, that's what we have right now. Um, if there's a course, let's say you're a non-traditional student, you went to UC Riverside five years ago, 10 years ago, maybe a course that you took isn't offered anymore, so it's not going to be uh, potentially in this school list um, or this course list here that we have, you can add the course under here under Add New Course Route and tell us what it is. It'll be added to your list um, that you can then go and create a new course and then we'll, uh, we'll try to approve it for everyone else to use as well. Our activities are fun. So we view this as not just a, a spreadsheet to track, not just a log to track your hours, but an actual diary entry, kind of a journal entry, making sure that everything that you are doing, you are uh, keeping track of, right? Scott and I talk about this yep. all the time. It's it's the reflection. It's what what was so important about this event for you. And you don't. You obviously don't have to do this every time. Uh, and Rachel, this is a maybe a bug for for uh, our releases. Get rid of that uh, required there. Mm -hmm. um, and that should change to reflection too. Um, we didn't talk about that this morning. But uh, the the description here. If you don't want to type something, you don't have to. But the goal is to reflect on each of your events and talk about something important that happened to you and on that day. So that when it comes time to applying, you can go back and look at all of this information. We'll automatically keep track of your hours and everything. Obviously that's a, a simple thing to do, but just a, a nice little addition there. Um, we can tr keep track of our MCAT scores. So if you're in the, the heat of MCAT prep, you can, um, you can come in here and say, I took a practice test on Saturday and I got a 127. Uh, let's do uh, the student a 124, I had a 129, a 129. I got a 510, but Scott, will that 124 hold me back? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and we'll be able to give that that feedback, right? We'll be able to, uh, you can list the, the test prep companies here as well so we can see how you're doing there. We'll be able to give that feedback to say, hey, that your your car score is a little bit low, but you'll, you'll be okay. Um, not a problem. We can keep track of our contacts and we have a med school list. Uh, so this is your list right now. It's not sortable um, or anything, but that's coming 
You can have your school list here where you can flag the schools that you want to add to your school list. And when you go back to your school list, they are all there for you. You want to open you, oh, There you go. Yeah. When you go into a school, you can see some, some details about the school. Uh, we do not consider this an MSAR replacement at this time um, or potentially ever, but uh, we'll, we'll have as much data as we can. The social media, students love the social, the social media links. Um, and we're going to pull all the secondary essays in here as well. So lots of fun stuff for the med school list and then resources and FAQs that we are building out for now. So mapped is coming and mapped is going to be amazing. And uh, that's all I got. Anything else that you want to show Rachel or Scott? No, it looks good. Yeah, it's early days. I mean, so that's what a public beta is all about. It's good. It's going to get a lot better. We're excited. Um, you know, we've got 800 people or so who have pre-ordered who are in there using it now. Um, I've been so happy with the overwhelmingly positive feedback. Um, and, you know, one of the exciting things I think about making the choice to release it while you're still working on continuous improvement is not only do we know it's going to get better, but for people who are using it this year, you're going to have a chance to shape it, you know, tell us what you want. And if enough people agree and we think it's a good idea, that's going to be part of what you get to use in your tool, you know, because you helped us build it. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.